Welcome to the Josh Blair Ministry Podcast, a podcast all about bringing inspiration and encouragement to your daily walk with Jesus. We pray the message you hear impacts you as you follow Christ. Last week, we kicked off the, the series on the fight, and I had asked a, a, an interesting question about those who have, who have been cursed before or know somebody in your family or neighborhood has been cursed, and a lot of you raised your hands. And I was kind of blown away by that. By so, how, how many people have been affected by, by witchcraft and black magic? And, and this in our culture, so many people, the devil is trying to oppress you in so many different ways. And I just thought, man, this is such a timely word for us that God is wanting to equip us and remind us who we are in Jesus to confront and combat the attacks of the enemy, and uh, you have more power than you know. And so we're going to continue in that uh, from from last week, going into this out of Ephesians chapter six, figuring out how to win the battles against the enemy. And we talked about we laid the foundation last week that to win the battle that you're in, you first have to know that God loves you. Do you know that God loves you? Do you know that God is for you? that God has his hand on you, that you belong to God. If you've given your life to Jesus, then Jesus is inside of you, that he's moving in you, he's speaking through you. And we need to be reminded that if God is with us, who can be against us? We need to be reminded that if we walk with Jesus, no weapon formed against us will prosper. That's a powerful word. Nothing that comes against you will prosper when you walk with Jesus. No enemy, no attack, no curse spoken over you will prosper when you walk with Jesus. And we have to, to remember that our war isn't against flesh and blood. It isn't against people that talk bad about us or backstab us or do things even to the front of our face. It's not, our war is not with them. Our war is with principalities, power, spiritual authority in high places that come and attack us. And we have a mutual enemy, don't we? The, the, the devil is our enemy. And there's no, there's no deal that you can cut with the devil to try to get on his good side. Can I remind you, the devil doesn't have a good side. It's all bad. Every time he turns around, it's bad and ugly and, and cowardly. You can't get on his good side. He hates you. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you will do. He hates you and hates God. And he hates you because God loves you. And he hates the things that God loves. So you are in a war. You're in a battle. We're all in a spiritual battle. And I want to remind us from last week, too, that there is no neutral zone. There is no spiritual Switzerland that you can camp out in and say, Devil, you leave me alone, I'll leave you alone, we'll be good, I'll speak Swedish, and I'll make little knives, and we'll be good, right? There's no, did anybody get that joke? Uh, There's no such place, there's no such place to be in the neutral zone with the enemy. He hates you, he wants you to, to be destroyed. And so, we need to be reminded we're in a war, and anytime that you go into the war, you need to be prepared for a war, Yeah? You don't walk onto a battlefield with no armor, no weapons, and be like, okay, guys, no one shoot me, right? You just don't do that. That's a very very poor strategy when when it's going into war. You would never go into a boxing ring without first training because this time you step into the ring, you'll get knocked out. You get knocked on your face, and that's not a good fight. And and we are fighting from a place of victory. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from a place of victory because Jesus won the victory for us on the cross. Amen? Do you remember all of this from last week? Those of you who weren't here, I just wanted to give you a recap of that. So we're going to continue in chapter 6, starting in verse 14 on the armor of God. So 
as we jump into this, Paul says you need to be alert. You need to stand firm. You need to make sure that you know that you're in a fight. That the enemy is trying to lull you to sleep. He's trying to make you comfortable. He's trying to make you relax enough to be, uh, to be confused and convinced that you're not in a fight. But you are. You're in one. So if we're in a war, how many of you know it's not good to go ill-prepared? So Paul lays out the armor that we need to be successful in battle. This is the, these are the six things he lays out in the armor of God. The first one is the belt of truth. The second is the breastplate of righteousness. Then he talks about the shoes that carry the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. How many of you, you know this, you've heard this before, if anybody's gone to a vac vacation Bible school, you might have memorized these things, or you, as a child in, in children's church, maybe you've memorized these things, but I want to break these things down for us so that we can better understand what Paul is saying here. So starting in verse 14, it says, stand therefore, stand therefore, that's a quick side note. He says, because of everything I just said in, in verses 10 through 13, that your love, that your identity is in God, if God is for you, who can be against you? Therefore, stand, having fastened the belt of truth and putting on the breastplate of righteousness. So let's stop right there and let's get into these two pieces of armor uh, that are needed to fight against the enemy. The first one is the belt of truth. What are, what are belts for? Anybody? To hold your pants up, right? To make sure your pants don't fall down. Belts are kind of important, right? Because if not, man, I'd be sagging and nobody would be appreciated of that of, at all, right? So belts are really important. They, they keep our pants from falling down. And, and in Paul's, Paul's day, the soldiers, the, the Roman soldiers, they, they wore a, a really thick, a very thick leather belt around their waist that protected, protected their intestinal area, their groin, that protected their loins, and also it carried their weapons, that's where they would store their dagger and their sword on, on their belts as weapons of warfare. And the belt was also used to hold their, their tunics together uh, so that they wouldn't snag when they were in a, in a battle or in a fight. And in fact, if you move even further back in ancient Israel days, they would say, have you ever heard the saying, I need to gird up your loins? You ever heard that? It's very weird. I mean, I don't know why we don't say it still today. I mean, it's very, you know, very applicable. Hey, you know, hey, Jay, you going to gird up your loins? Yeah, I'm just about to do that. But... Uh, Basically, what they would do is they would take their tunics and they would pull the back up because it was kind of a long dress, in a sense, uh, a robe, and they would pull it up through and then they would push it through their belt and then it becomes like shorts and they could run. They could run that way. They couldn't run when it was down around their legs. It would just be kind of like a you know, really short stride. So they would pull it up. That was the girding of their loins. So the belt helped you run. The belt helped you run. The, the, the belt protected you. The, the belt carried your weapons and the belt helped you run. And so Paul is saying you need to have the belt of truth. What does that belt represent to us as believers? The belt for us as believers is our integrity. Our integrity protects us. Our integrity carries us and carries our weapons into warfare. And our integrity helps us run the race well. What is integrity? Integrity is, it means that we are the same person in private as we are in public. We are not two separate people. We are not one way at church and another way at work. We are not one at school, another way at home. Integrity means I am the same person no matter where I am. Integrity is my yes is yes. 
My no is no. That's what integrity means. It means when no one else is looking, I am still doing the right thing because I'm integrous. If you don't have integrity, then you become untrustworthy. Would you agree? Do you know anybody who will say something and they never do it? You're just like, well, you have no integrity. You're never going to do anything, right? I got a lot of yeses over here for some reason. There's a lot, a lot of people who know not you know, unintegrous people. Uh, but integrity helps us be trustworthy, helps us to be truthful. You know, the, there's, a, there's a bridge up in, uh, in Madera County, up just past Raymond, I think that's still Madera County, that they, they had spanned it, but then they realized that the integrity of the bridge was weak and deteriorating, so they put stop signs on both sides of the bridge so that you would go slowly across the bridge because the, the bridge's integrity had been compromised. What does that mean? The, the, the bridge could not hold the weight that it was supposed to hold. And in our lives, if we do not have integrity, we cannot hold the weight that we're supposed to hold in relationship with other people and in relationship with God. We lose our integrity. We, our foundation becomes shaky. We can't be dependable anymore. And integrity is the belt of truth as a believer. But if you, if you want to win the battle in your life against the enemy, you need to be a person of integrity. If you, if you say you're going to do something, you need to do it. If you're, if you're going to live for Christ, you've got to live for Him in every area of your life, not just when it's convenient for you, not just when people are around you that are also serving Jesus, but in the face of opposition, you still say, God, I love you, I serve you, I'm going to be a person of integrity. That's what integrity is. That's the belt of truth for us. It's, it, without, the, without integrity, you're going to find yourself losing battles against the enemy. He'll continue to take ground from you because he knows he can manipulate your words and your actions. If you have integrity, it holds you together so that you are consistent in following Jesus. That's the first one. The second one is the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate protects the heart as, as well as other vital organs like your lungs and so forth. I don't know what all is in there, but it protects all of this area, okay? And so it's, it's really important. Now, you know, don't give me an anatomy lesson later on. I know there's stuff in there, but it protects the heart most of all, okay? And living righteously does the same thing for us. The breastplate of righteousness, righteousness just means in living rightly before God. That's what righteousness is. And so to, to win battles in your life when the enemy comes against you to attack you, to confront you, if you have a breastplate of righteousness, you're guarding your heart against the attacks of the enemy. You're not giving him a place to find, to weasel in, to, to find the crack in your armor to get to your heart. Because he knows if he can get to your heart, he can get to how you live your life. If he can compromise your heart, then he can try to compromise your calling that God has for your life. Without righteousness, we are susceptible to fatal injury. But right living protects our heart. It protects our purity. Without living rightly before God, the enemy can find a way into our hearts and into our minds to pull us away from the things of God. Without righteousness, we cannot win the battle. So what does righteousness look like? It looks a lot like integrity. You're doing the right things when no one else is watching when no one else is looking because you know that God is watching always. He's never turned his eye from you. Because, not because he's looking for you to slip up, but because he loves you so much he just loves to be with you. So God is watching. He's, 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 you know, he's watching you. He's, he's, he's examining you. He's, he's, he's just pouring out his love for you. And, 
when you live righteously and right with him, with him, you're doing things that you know, God, this is going to be pleasing to you. This is going to be loving to you. God, this is ways that I show that you're working in my heart and life. You know, this morning my son was in his closet and he didn't know I was there and I was kind of peeking through the door at him watching him play. And I loved that. I wasn't looking for him to mess up and break a toy. I just wanted to watch him see how he interacted and talked to his toys and the doggy and all this weird stuff that he does. But I wanted just to, to be there with him without him necessarily knowing that I was there just so that I could enjoy him in his natural element. You know what I mean? It was like I was hunting him a little bit. You know what I mean? Like a deer. But Okay, that's a bad example. But basically, I wanted to just... I wanted to see him. I wanted to watch him and, and not have him stop what he was doing because he saw me there. And, and, and living rightly before God is kind of knowing that he's there, but, but still doing it not so that, not, not in fear that he's going to punish you if you don't, but, but because you want to please him, because you want to love him, you want to walk in right relationship with him. That's righteousness. And Jesus, first, initially, he starts you out by giving you his righteousness so that you have a place to start. And that's the highest place to start. So he gives, you don't have to try to earn righteousness. He gives it to you and just says, walk in it. Just, just be faithful in, in what I'm calling you to do and do it with all your heart. So the breastplate of righteousness guards our heart, keeps us from being attacked by the enemy who tries to find little ways to weave, weasel in and, and, and distort and distract and pollute and pervert our hearts. Because those things will distract us from God. Amen? The next thing that Paul talks about is in verse 15. It says, And as shoes for your feet, having put on readiness given by the gospel of peace. I thought this was interesting, that we're talking about war, we're talking about battle, we're talking about a fight, and Paul says, shoes of peace to win the war. Shoes of peace to win the war. Now, the, the shoes that Paul was talking about in relation to Roman soldiers, they had these... Um, Shoes that had hobnails in it, which made it look like cleats, so that when they were running on uneven ground or unstable ground, they always had a firm footing. So that when it came to battle, they wouldn't slip and become vulnerable. So they could always, even in muddy ground, they always had a firm foundation when the enemy was attacking to, be, to get into position to defend and to attack. And so Paul is saying, peace becomes your firm foundation. It is hard to win a battle when the enemy has got you wrapped up with anxiety, confusion, depression, and worry. Would you agree? It's hard to, to mount up attacks against the enemy and, and pray against what the enemy is doing when he has you worried about your finances, about, about your job, about your loved ones, about tomorrow. He, he tries to steal your peace because if he can steal your peace, he can rock your foundation. But if you're, if you're grounded with shoes that hold firmly to the, to the ground that you're on through peace in your life, the enemy cannot shake you. He cannot distort you. He cannot steal your peace. The enemy, the one reason why he attacks us so much with anxiety and worry is because he wants us to be shaken. He wants us to not be sure. But peace demonstrates our faith and trust in God, doesn't it? I can be relaxed. I don't have to worry about tomorrow. It doesn't matter. There's big storms coming my way, but, but I have peace. The Bible says peace that surpasses all understanding. I don't understand where it comes from. I don't know how I have it, but I have it. And that's the peace that God wants to give us. And in that place, you have a sound mind to be able to begin 
to recognize what the enemy is doing and combat him where he's, where he's combating you, where he's attacking you. Peace is vital. It demonstrates we trust God. Worry, anxiety demonstrates that we do not trust him. And so if you're wrestling with that today, which I am supposing that so, several of you are because it's an epidemic in our culture, that I would encourage you to, to silence the worry and say, God, I know you have this. I know you have me. You're not going to let me fall because I have peace on my feet and it keeps me from stumbling. Amen? Peace is our firm footing against the enemy. Verse 16 says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, Roman, Roman shields, they were made of wood with, wrapped with leather, and the, the leather would sometimes be soaked in water. They became, it, was, came, it came heavy. It wasn't easy to carry, but they would soak it in, in water so that when the, the flaming arrows were shot at them, it would easily quench them. And so they would hold up the shields that were three to four feet, almost covering their entire body. And, and that's what would use to defend the, the arrows flying in. They would soak the arrows in, in oil and in tar and shoot them and try to, to wound them. And what does the, uh, the shield of faith represent for us as believers? It, it represents a, a protection against the lies of the enemy. Because the, the enemy throws lying, flaming darts at you all the time to try to bring doubt into your mind, to try to bring doubt into your heart. And the shield of faith, our faith, not only protects us from the lies, it protects us from being burned by the enemy as well. You ever been burned by the enemy? What I mean by that is you believed a lie and things just didn't work out for you and things began to crumble around you, family members, people started talking bad about you, things just didn't work out, you, you, know, you began to distance yourself from people because you thought they, were, they hated you or distrusted you. And it was all, all from a little lie that was sown into you. And bridges began to burn in your life because of things, the accusations that you thought you heard or, or things that you began to feel that really weren't even there. Or maybe they were there, but God didn't want you to burn that bridge. He wanted you to build it, to build relationship. Your faith protects you from the lies of the enemy that will not only wound you, but also cause you to burn bridges in your life or cause you to be burned by the enemy. Our faith is crucial, but, but sometimes our faith can become heavy. Sometimes it's not easy to carry. Sometimes it's, it seems like it's so burdensome for us but the call is to continue to carry it. The call is to continue to raise it up so that we can have it as protection against the enemy. When you're being attacked, your faith is called, called to rise up inside of you. Faith that God will do what he said he's going to do. Faith that says, uh, my hope is in things not seen. My, uh, and, and without hope that God will come through, we, we fall victim to the fiery lies of the enemy that say that we're alone, that things are hopeless, and nothing can be done about it. But my faith says that my God will supply all of my needs according to His riches and glory. My faith says that He can work out all things for the good of those who are called according to His purpose. My faith says that God is the one who is faithful, even when I am not faithful. So I put my trust in Him, I put my hope in Him, because it's his faith, it's, it's, it's my faith in him that's going to quench the lies and the accusations, the fear and the doubt when the enemy comes attacks you. Your faith is your shield. It's not time to hide your faith. 
When you're being attacked, it's time to raise your faith up to defend yourself from those attacks of the enemy. Verse 17 says this, Take the helmet of salvation and the, word of the, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Here, here are the last two pieces of the armor that are vitally important for us, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. What, what do helmets protect? The head. They protect the head, right? That's very important. I need to protect this face, okay? It's my moneymaker. I got nothing else if I don't have this, right? The, the helmet protects your head. Have you ever, ever had a wound to your head that's cut you? you and you've ever, you, just, you just bleed profusely, don't you? It's like a little, a little cut, and you're just like, you're losing all the blood in your body. You ever experienced that before? It's, tra it's traumatic if that's ever happened to you. Your head has to be protected because it bleeds really easy. You ever been hit in the head so hard that you become dizzy? You're kind of like, you know, in football they call that a concussion, right? And so you ever been hit so hard that you just, you don't know what's up and down, what's straight anymore, things become, you know, fuzzy and blurry, you can't think clearly, you don't remember two plus two anymore, like, you, 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 your, bread, your, your, your brain becomes traumatic, traumatically uh, messed up. I think, I think I might have I got hit in the head already, I don't know because I can't speak. But it makes it hard to think. Have you ever, does anybody in here suffer from migraines? Anybody have uh, migraines? They're, uh, I know I, my, my sister-in-law does, my dad sometimes does, and migraines can, can just take you out. They're, they're, they're tremendously painful. They make you super sensitive to light. They, 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 they mess with your vision. You, you just don't feel well. And it, it all comes from the head. It all comes, it's all sourced in the head. And the, the enemy knows that our, our head is important, that our mind is vitally important. And so Paul's saying you need to wear a helmet of salvation against the attacks of the enemy because the enemy loves to attack your mind. He loves to bring confusion. He loves to mess with your vision. And if you can't see where you're going, then the enemy can try to distract and turn you to the place he wants you to go. And so the helmet of salvation is speaking of this, especially when it comes to our salvation. He seeks to distract us from our Savior. He wants to bring us confusion about what it means to follow Jesus. He wants to, again, blur our vision to what it means to, to pursue Christ and what God is doing for us and what our futures will look like with Him. He wants to fatally wound us. He wants to bleed us out. He wants to choke us out. And the helmet of salvation will guard against that. And one way that you can do that practically is do you ever sit down and just think about your salvation? Do you ever just sit back and think, I, I, I'm saved. I, I've been transformed by putting my life and my hope in Jesus. I've been moved from darkness to light. I've been brought from the dead and I'm alive. you ever just stop and think? If you begin to think about those things, you begin to praise Jesus for the work he's done in your life and the work that he is doing. The helmet of salvation, your salvation transforms the way you think. When you begin to meditate and think about what Christ has done for you, your, your mindset changes. You begin to have a vision, a clearer understanding of where God is leading you and what direction He wants you to follow. But you have to begin to think first and, and foremost that you belong to Jesus 
that he bought you with a price by spilling his blood for you on the cross, and now he is radically transforming you from the inside out. I want you to, in moments where you're, you're feeling confused about life or pressures around you, begin to just thank God for your salvation. Begin to tell him, God, I love you. Thank you for making me a new creation in you. Thank you for setting me free. Begin to meditate on God's word and your salvation because it will radically transform the way that you think and you act. And last, the, the last piece of the armor that Paul talks about is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This one, this one is, is one that everybody, I think, readily knows. I'm, some of us, I'm sure you've gone to a church where people have held up their Bibles and he said, hold up your swords! And we hold, this is my sword! You know, have you ever been to church? You know, sometimes you walk in and you're like, hey, got the sword, got the, got the word of God, you know. We, we, we understand that God's word is a sword. But can I tell you something? The enemy is not afraid of the leather-bound book that you hold in your hands. He's not afraid of whatever translation you think is most accurate. He's afraid when the word that you hold in your hand becomes the word you hold in your heart. That is when he begins to tremble. That is when it begins to turn into a sword of the Spirit in your life. It, you're not gonna, if the devil was to show up here, right here, face to face, he's not going to run if I throw a Bible at him. He won't. And in fact, he'll dodge it, right? Because he's like the Matrix, right? I'm guessing. I don't know what he'll do. But he's not afraid of me throwing a, a leather-bound book at him. Where he's afraid is when I begin to speak the Word of God against him. That's the model that we have. That is the sword of the Spirit coming to life in us and through us. We know that because that's the example Jesus did when he was being tempted and tried in the desert. Do you know in Jesus' day they didn't have a leather-bound Bible? They had giant scrolls and they contained chapters of books at a time. So Jesus wouldn't have been walking out in the desert carrying these scrolls and saying, well, Isaiah said this, and like knock him out, right? He wouldn't do that. He spoke it into existence. He spoke the word of God from his mouth, and that happened when it was in his heart. The enemy will tremble when the word of God, the sword of the Spirit, comes out of you. And we even have a picture of that in Revelation where it says, out of the mouth of Jesus came a word like a two-edged sword that cut and divided, bone from marrow. That is the word that flows out of you when you speak it. If you could imagine in the Spirit, when you begin to be attacked by the enemy, you begin to pray the word of God, you begin to speak the word of God, it is as if you are throwing daggers at the enemy. It is as if you are attacking him with the sword that God has given you. Don't be so consumed with walking. I've seen people walk around with the Bible thinking that, that the authority and power is in the book. No, the authority and power comes in you when you consume the book, when you read the book, when you apply the book to your life. You're the one who bears the light. The Bible is, is wonderful. It's great. We need it. But the Bible does not bear the light. We are the image bearers of Christ. We are the light of the world. People aren't going to get saved just because we throw Bibles all around the city. I need you to be the Word of God to people. You have to be the one that is speaking the truth, living out with integrity, and being the light in dark places. The Word of God comes to life in us and becomes a sword against the enemy when we begin to speak it, when we begin to pray it. 
when we begin to live it. So what do we have to do? We need to read it. We need to memorize it. We need to consume it. It needs to be the book that we pick up every day, the book that, that we love to have with us, the book that we want to read, that we want to engage in, because that's the way it becomes in our heart. When's the last time you memorized Scripture? When's the last time you were able to, in a moment, when you felt the attack of the enemy, the Holy Spirit brought something back to your memory from the Word of God that you were able to speak against Him? Right? It's powerful. But if you don't know it, you can't speak it. You have to know it. You have to consume it. So when the battle comes, the Word of God comes flowing up out of you to defeat the enemy. Have you experienced that before? I know that some of you have. When you felt like the attack of the enemy was coming on, the, the word of God began to flow out of you. And lastly, Paul says, and he ends in verse, uh, verse 18, this section, it says, praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. We wield, we, we wield the sword of the spirit, not by waving our Bibles around, but in prayer. Because the battle is fought in prayer. And we win it when we pray to the Lord. And we pray the word of God. What Jesus did when he was confronted in the wilderness, he prayed the word of God. He confronted the enemy with the word of God. Knowing that the word and praying the word comes against the power of the enemy in your life. And Paul concludes here, he says, and to that end, Speaking about all the armor, putting on all the armor to this end. So you wear the armor to this end. That you would keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. I think sometimes when we think about the armor of God, we think about us individually. We think about, well, I need to just put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the, the, the sandals of peace, the helmet of salvation. The, the shield of faith and the, the sword of the Spirit. I just, if I would just wear that, I would be okay. But Paul says we'd wear all of these things to this end, that we would be made alert with all perseverance, praying for all the saints. Who are the saints? You and I. When, when Paul speaks of the saints here, he's not speaking of a, a term as the Catholic Church would use it. He's speaking about you and I because we have brought into this, the sainthood of believers. You and I are saints. doesn't mean that we're perfect, but it means that we've been sanctified by our Father. We've been made holy. We've been made righteous. So Paul is saying, guard yourself so that you can pray for others, so that you can speak life into others. What does supplication mean? I think it talks about this, that, that we are called to wear the armor of God, not just for ourselves, but for others. There was a a few weeks ago, Faith and I, we were invited. We went to um, Angel's football game. He's in 7th, 8th grade. We went to a, his football game, and Jay and Gloria, they joined us, and we were there and having a good time. And uh, He played great. Actually, the kid is a great football player. I think he's got, he's got a, a good future in front of him. But um, he, uh, I love him so much. But he, he did so good, and we were watching him. And uh, during halftime and at the end of the game, they, they huddled together. And I think it was their quarterback who was giving this, you know, the, the chant to kind of pump them up, you know what I mean? And like they're saying this, ha, 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 ha. I don't know what they were saying. But they were doing stuff like that, call and response. And at the very end, he said something that I thought, man, this is great. 
he, he, he asked him a question, and he's yelling, and he's hyped up. He's like, you got my back! And they yelled, I got your back! You got my back! I got your back! And I was like, I love this, man. This is great. So then Jay and I started doing that together. We've done it every day since, I, th I think. For the last three weeks, we'd be like, I got your back. You got my back. I got your back. <laughs> and I was even doing it with Corbin. And Corbin, I'd be like, Corbin, you got my back? And he'd be like, got back. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Just as long as you don't say baby in front of that, we're okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> you got my back. I got back. And we started doing that now. We, we, we say it almost all, all, every day, and I love that. And the other day, I was getting Corbin ready for preschool. And he's laying there, and I'm getting his clothes out and everything. He's laying on his back, and he looks at me, and he says, I got your back. And I said, oh, you do? Thanks, buddy. I really, that made me almost tear up. And he said, <laughs> I said, thanks, man. And he goes, he goes, Nate? And you guys know Nate. Nate Franklin, I have him speak here a couple times. He said, Nate? I said, yeah, what about him? Nate got your back. Aww. I was like, where is this kid coming from? I said, yeah, Nate has my back. Madison, that's Nate's girlfriend. Madison got your back. I was like, okay. <laughs> um, now I'm saying, who else got my back? What do you know that I don't know? He starts going through the list. Mama got your back. I said, yeah, Mama got my back. <laughs> Papa got your back. I said, Papa got my back. Mimi got your back. Yeah, Mimi. He's going through a whole list. I said, who else has my back? He goes, Giffen. That's what he calls his brother. Giffen. His name's Griffin, but he, does, he has a hard time with R's. My two-month-old's got my back. Giffen got your back, Daddy. I said, okay, who else? He says, Coleman. That's what he calls himself. He can't say Corbin. He says, Coleman. He says, Coleman got your back. I said, thank you. That's twice now. You started with it. You ended with yourself. I appreciate that. But what it reminded me of was this passage of Scripture. What was so powerful about it, I felt like God was reminding me in that moment through my son that we have each other's back, that we're called to have each other's back. Do you know when Paul's mentioning all of the, uh, the armor here, he never talks about armor for your back? He never talks about a rear guard or... Or, or something to protect the back of your legs. Like, those are vital. That's vitally important. There's, there's main arteries that run, but, but there's nothing there to protect your back. And a lot of times I've heard this preach that the, me, the, the reason why he didn't mention that is because we're not supposed to retreat from the enemy. We're not supposed to run from the enemy. And that's true. We're not supposed to run from the enemy. We're supposed to advance and attack him. And the enemy's supposed to run from us. When we, when we re, uh, rebuke him and when we resist him, he's supposed to flee, is what the word says. But I think that also he didn't say that because we're supposed to have each other's backs. That as we continue to work towards the, and fight the enemy, and you're coming against something hard in your life, you can be reminded that I've got your back. That I'm right there behind you. I'm praying for you. That's how we have our backs. Paul says, so guard yourself in these ways. Wear this armor. Be persistent and being alert so that you can pray for one another, so that you can have each other's back. It's not so that you can be holier than anybody else. It doesn't mean so that you can resist the enemy better than anybody else. It's not just for you. It's for everybody that sits next to you. It's everybody in your family. It's even those who don't know the Lord yet. You can fight on their behalf. You can have their back against the enemy when he comes in to attack them. The reason we don't have a rear guard armor on our back is because you and I are supposed to be there for each other. And whenever the enemy is attacking and trying to sneak up on you, I'm, I have eyes on him. I know what he's doing, and I can, let you, I can let you know. I can make sure that you're aware of it. Or I can pray for something you may not even know about because I've got your back. 
We need to have each other's back. Amen? Sometimes in the church, we're, we're the only mil military power. Uh, the church is because we're, supposed, we're called to be soldiers in the army of God, but we're the only ones that shoot our own, that stab our own in the back. We're the only army that bury the wounded. When people are hurting and broken, we kick them off to the side. That's not the call of God for us. Our call is to be people that have the back of other people. That say, I don't care what's going on in your life. I know the enemy is attacking you. Let me help you fight the enemy on your behalf. I know your kids are walking away from the Lord. Let me pray with you so that they'll be drawn back to you. I know the enemy is attacking your finances. Let me help you so that we can restore what the enemy is trying to steal from you. I got your back. Turn to somebody and say, you got my back? And answer, I got your back. You got my back? I got your back. I got your back. If we want to be an effective church, if we want to be a church that God can use to win and reach our community, we have to be a church that has each other's backs. It doesn't mean that we sweep sin under the rug. It means we confront it because we know the enemy attacks us through sin. So we speak the truth in love as a way of having your back. When I have your back, it doesn't mean I'm going to expose your back. So that means if you're walking through something, you're walking through a difficulty, I'm not going to point out and say, hey, I'm praying for so-and-so. Hey, let me call him up and say, hey, I need a, you know, and become, it becomes a gossip about somebody. That's exposing someone's back. There's, it's exposing their vulnerability. You're called to have their back. Speak truth. Tell them you can't continue to do what you're doing, but it'll be between me and you and God. No one else needs to know about that. I'm going to pray with you. We're going, to, we're going to see this thing turned around. That's having someone's back. That's believing the best for people because the enemy attacks us at weak spots and vulnerable spots. So friends, I want to remind us that we are in a war and we need to be prepared. We need to be a people of integrity. We have to do what's right and guard our hearts from evil. That means turning something off when you know it's not right for you to watch. That means not talking about that person when you know it's not right. Living righteously, guarding our hearts. We need to walk on the firm foundation of our peace with God. doesn't matter the storms that are coming our way. We are grounded in the fact that the Spirit brings us supernatural, unexplicable peace. We have to have a knowledge of our salvation and meditate on what Jesus has done for us. We we must know that the, the word of God and pray the word of God and hide the word of God in our hearts that we would not sin against him. And lastly, we need to be reminded that we have each other's backs. We're in this war, but we're not alone. We are called to join together so we don't have to fight by ourselves.